Hey, this is the final episode of the season. If you haven't listened to the credits before, I suggest you stick around for this one. Thanks, and enjoy the show. He is more than a story. He is more than a comic book superhero. He is more than a symbol of hope. He represents our greatest aspirations. He is everything we think we can be. And yet, even with all the strength and all the power in all of the world, he may not be able to meet his greatest challenges and redeem his family's legacy. For he is the son of El. Chapter 31 The Way Forward Whatever help Clark hoped to find from Bruce was unavailable while he grieved for his young apprentice. Jason Todd's death had taken an unimaginable toll on Batman as he all but disappeared from the world. On several occasions, Clark went to him, offering support and seeking advice on contacting Dr. Fate. Bruce was stuck in the same loop each time Superman brought up Martian Manhunter. I think that headband is enchanted. If we could talk to Dr. Fate about it, I think we can still save Jean Jones. If we hadn't lost Jean, we wouldn't have lost Jason. I believe we can still get Jean back. I think he's trapped in that thing. The Joker's plan couldn't have gone any better. Almost as though he knew Jean was helping us. As if he knew Jean would fall into Savage's trap. The Joker couldn't possibly know everything. Couldn't he? His timing was too perfect. He must have known. We might have a better chance of finding out if we had John Jones back. If you can give me Jason Blood's contact information, I can ask him myself. Who's to say we can trust Blood or Fate? Joker could already be ahead of us. This could be his plan. It's better we wait, stall, throw off his timing. Whatever angle Clark tried didn't matter. Bruce was beset by grief and guilt. Clark had to solve this mystery on his own. The silver tiara with the red stone haunted him. The more he examined it, the more sure he felt that it was the Martian manhunter he saw trapped inside. Clark was powerless to help. In the meantime, negotiations splitting the spoils of war had grown tense between the United Sodality and the Coalition of Nations. The Sodality sought recompense for the technology confiscated in Kaznia. Their own victories throughout Africa and Asia and the Middle East had left them empty-handed. The Coalition of Nations had many of its own demands and conditions. Among them was the surrender of Vandal Savage. Clark attended the negotiations, advocating for the United Sodality to continue keeping the Kasdian president as their prisoner. Lex Luthor also attended. He had come in support of Savage's extradition for a trial in Europe. It was the first time in two years that Superman and Lex Luthor spoke face to face. Luthor's eyes sparked with vigor the moment he saw Superman was in the room. When Lex Luthor's turn came to present his case, he made sure to both start and finish while making firm eye contact with his adversary. It is only natural that we all want to see justice prevail. That only happens if we ensure Vandal Savage has a fair trial. His due process being followed to its natural conclusion can only be ensured in a true democracy. Relinquishing him to the Coalition of Nations will ensure Savage sees justice. Clark could only imagine that Luther must have been aware of Vandal Savage's age and immortality. Instead of making his own speech, Clark began by asking Luther questions. 
Why would Savage not get a fair trial from the United Sodality? Luther looked about the room, sizing up his response. These are dictatorships you're advocating for. These rulers aren't voted in by their people. They make a decision, and it is law. Is that justice? They can simply announce Savage's execution. But I want to give him a fair trial. He deserves a trial before he meets his end. That is how we find justice in a democracy. What makes you think a dictator would execute Savage without a trial? Ha! Huh, are you kidding me? There are more ways to escape justice than execution without a trial. Savage might bribe them and be freed. If we want to ensure his punishment is met, we have no choice. He must be extradited. Superman paused, being sure not to rush his cross-examination. Are you worried he'll escape punishment? Or is it that you're afraid the death penalty is too severe for Savage? Too severe? Hardly. After his crime, Savage should consider himself lucky to receive the death sentence. Though I simply want a fair trial. If the courts decide he must die, so be it. Superman narrowed his eyes, quietly assessing Lex. Tell me, Luther, do you believe in an afterlife? Afterlife? Don't be ridiculous. Despite his own beliefs and experiences, Clark attempted to suss out Luther's intent for Vandal Savage. If there's no afterlife, wouldn't a death sentence keep Savage from suffering his punishment? Lex smiled, yet his eyes remained ice cold as he met Superman's gaze. All men strive to live, Superman. Death is the ultimate punishment. Clark bowed his head, taking a mournful breath before he continued. But the dead have nothing to strive for, Lex. Savage's death will mark the end of his punishment. If you want him to pay for his crimes, you kinda have to allow him to anguish his final days in prison. Again, I will let the courts decide. His fate should be left to the coalition of nations. Why do you care? What interest do you have, Superman? Well, Lex, I can't say that I don't share your concerns. It's critical Savage be properly tried for his crimes. That's why, when the Justice League agreed to fight alongside the United Sodality, we entered the war under a set of conditions. Among them was the assurance that Vandal Savage would see a fair trial, and it would not end in his execution. How could they possibly assure this? Their courts are hardly reliable. I've seen to it myself. He's currently being held prisoner in Chichiku. This revelation stirred murmurs around the assembly room. Chichiku, a remote nation in the Himalayas, had made headlines in recent years as they purged the former sultan's government and established a new rule of law. They had begun holding national elections, expanding civil rights, and banning the death penalty. Throughout the war, being so remote, Chichiku made no declarations of their allegiance. It was news to Luther and the Coalition of Nations that the small mountainous country had joined the United Sodality. Lex's eyes widened just slightly. I... well... we will have to see then. See if they can... stand a muster. Lex lost his brimming confidence as the delegation seriously considered the positive attributes of having the trial in Chichiku. The small nation had a history of being terrorized by Kazni at Savage's hand. They had every right to hold him accountable. From across the room, Lex stared at Superman from under his brow, stewing in resentment, one eye twitching with bottled rage. Clark had won this round. Two days later, the Coalition's delegates announced that all of the confiscated weapons that had been taken from Kaznia had all self-destructed in the middle of the night. The Sodality delegates believed this story was a ruse. Negotiations were close to falling apart when Clark stepped in, 
attempting to quell the situation before the war escalated further. Again, he found himself face to face with Luther at the bargaining table. This time, Luther let Superman begin. None of this is worth the fight. We've all worked toward the same ends. I realize that all parties have their own needs, but I don't see any reason why we all can't come to a compromise. I hear you both. I have no doubt each of you want the technology that was lost. I'm asking the United Sodality to hear me out when I say, I believe it's no lie that the weapon self-destructed. I honestly don't believe the Coalition of Nations is trying to betray you. Professor Ray Palmer analyzed the weapons that Kaznia used to destroy their artillery. He believes that Vandal Savage changed the failsafe mechanisms on them. After we discovered how to detonate his bombs, Savage removed their self-destruct triggers, replacing them with resettable timers that depended on him remotely resetting them, regularly. It's been a week since we captured Vandal Savage. He's been gone that long without resetting the failsafe timer. That's all that's happened. They aren't lying to you. Please, let's start this negotiation with a gesture of trust that we're all working toward the same ends. If the Coalition would work with the Sodality to at least share what you've learned about Kaznia's weapons before they self-destructed, I'm sure you could win the Sodality's trust and find your own needs easily met along the way. We're all on the same side. Clark hoped he reached the ears of the delegates. Luther stood up to speak his rebuttal. Pacing, he addressed Superman with a series of questions. Well, Superman, you do seem capable of telling both sides what they want. But why don't you tell us what side you're on? What is it you want? I just want to end the war. I think peace is something worth striving for. Indeed it is. Would you agree it's something that is even worth making sacrifices for? Of course. Then hear me out. If the Justice League wants to put an end to this conflict, why don't you all surrender yourselves? How does that put an end to this conflict? It would serve as a... What did you refer to it as? A gesture of trust? The room became silent. As Superman and Luther glared at one another, murmurs slowly began to stir about the room until arguments broke out all around. This new suggestion by Luther was controversial on both sides and left the meeting adjourning in disarray. Before marching out the door, Luther looked back yelling with a disturbing fervor in his bulging eyes. I'm expecting all of you to surrender shortly, Superman! Don't leave me waiting! Back at the Fortress of Solitude, Clark explained the situation to everyone he could rally together. Batman would not make himself available, while the Starling City heroes wanted no part in surrendering. Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Vixen, Aquaman, The Flash, Kid Flash, Mr. Terrific, and Ray Palmer discussed the possibility of turning themselves in. Ray was quick to flat-out dismiss the idea. No deal. We are pretty useless working for Luther. Barry Allen, The Flash, scoffed. Working for? Who says we'll be working for him? He's planning on locking us up as criminals. Ray puzzled his brow. I doubt it. Either way, I don't see how it benefits anyone but Lex if we turn ourselves in. Barry laughed. Oh yeah, totally. I'm not saying I want him to lock us up in cages. Arthur Curry, Aquaman, saw some immediate concerns. No doubt Lex is just looking out for himself. But rather than dwell on why he's doing this, I think we need to ask ourselves what kind of retaliation to expect. Clark agreed. That's a good question. I've never seen Lex like this before. At this point, there's really no telling what he might do. Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, couldn't stay silent any longer. I think this has gone on long enough. We took down Savage and did our part in the war. 
And now, if we want to see the end of the fighting, we need to fess up and turn ourselves in. It's as simple as that. It's our duty. Diana set her eyes on Stuart. That is your choice. I surrender only to my mother. She alone is my queen. John Stewart stood up. Fine by me. All y'all have lost your minds. Go to war with the U.S. military if you want, but not with me. As much as I've taken an oath to Oa and the Green Lantern, I've taken an oath to the U.S. Marines, and that doesn't change. John began to walk out. Clark spoke up, unsure what damage he could still salvage. John stopped to look back and listen. John, I respect that you're sticking to your commitments. I hope you can see. We're only trying to do the same thing. I can see that you believe that. John turned away and out the door. After he departed, the others broke into groups. While mingling about, drinking tea and eating snacks, they bounced ideas off of one another to formulate some kind of plan. Clark returned to the matter of Jean Jones and the Silver Tiara. It's hard to describe it, but I have a feeling that it's some kind of magic spell trapping him. Wally West, Kid Flash, could not hide his disbelief. You gotta be kidding me, right? Isn't magic just some kind of technology you don't understand yet? I don't know, Wally. I've seen some things beyond understanding. Wally raised a single index finger. Yet. Beyond understanding. Yet. Wally got a good laugh from the group and Superman went on to tell about his experience going to the Tower of Fate with Batman. This tower had books on the history of mankind. Surely this tiara is mentioned in one of those books. I'm thinking if we could contact Dr. Fate, he might have some idea of how this headband works. Ray Palmer stepped in to join the circle. What did you do to contact him the first time? Batman's friend drew some kind of chalk circle with odd writing all around it. Diana was somewhat familiar. It is not enough to know the markings. To enter Nabu's tower, you must be invited. Then let's invite him here. Do you know how to summon Dr. Fate? Diana gave a dry laugh. Of course not. You make it sound like a simple matter. It was a pretty simple drawing. I just didn't get a good look at it before it ignited into flames. Ray Palmer scratched his chin. And flames? I'm not sure what kind of chalk it was. Palmer kept up his line of questions. Who was this friend of Batman's that drew the circle? That would be Jason Blood, but I can't seem to track him down. He's in history books, but that's all that comes up when I search for him. I don't know how to find Blood, and Batman sure doesn't seem to be able to tell me. Barry Allen spoke up for the first time in a while. How's Bats holding up these days? Clark sighed. Not well. I've never seen him like this. He won't stop second-guessing himself, so we're just going to have to figure this out without him. Mr. Terrific made a suggestion. It sounds like there were a lot of people meeting at this Tower of Fate. Is there anyone else from there we can reach out to? Surely they all got there somehow. Did you get anyone's contact info? Actually, yeah. There was this Englishman there. Constantine. He gave me his business card, but it disappeared out of my hand just after he gave it to me. Upon speaking these words, Clark looked down at his hand to discover he was again holding the business card. John Constantine. Exorcist. Occultist. Master of the Dark Arts. On it, there was a phone number. Clark looked to the others. Does anyone have a phone? They all exchanged a look of surprise to realize the card in Clark's hand had disappeared and was replaced by a phone. The phone was in the midst of placing a call. Clark held it to his ear. It rang a few times before someone answered. Well, hello, sweetie. Clark hesitated before responding. Constantine? 
None other then. What can I do for you, Superman? How did you know it was me? I gave you an enchanted business card that turns into a phone. Don't you doubt for a second that phone isn't going to have some caller ID. Now what seems to be the matter, Superman? I imagine that card would only reappear if this were important. Clark sought the words to phrase his question. Well, my friends and I are having some trouble with a magic tiara. And we were hoping you might be able to summon Dr. Fate for us. Clark finished speaking and the other end of the phone remained silent. He wondered if the call had somehow been lost. Just before asking if they were still connected, Constantine replied. You want me to summon fate? Bloody hell! What do you think I do? I, um, well, now that you mention it... No, don't bother. Stay where you're at. I'll be there in five minutes. Uh, give or take five minutes. And one more thing, just to be clear. You want Dr. Fate at your current location. Yeah, that's the idea. Constantine hung up and Clark found his hand empty once more. Everyone stared at him, awaiting an answer. Arthur was the first to ask. Well, did it work? Can you summon the doctor, dude, or what? Clark slowly drew his empty hand away from his ear. I... I'm not sure. But I think so. He says he'll be here in five minutes or so. Wally West scoffed. Does he have any idea where we're at? Is he coming from England? I couldn't even get here that fast. As they speculated on whatever it was they were expecting, a fizzling humming sound began surrounding the space around them. At the center of the room, a crackling of energy appeared. The spark grew into a giant glowing image of an onyx. From it emerged the form of Dr. Fate, in his blue robes, trimmed in gold boots, belt, gloves, cape, and helmet. Stepping out from behind him was John Constantine. Short blonde hair, stubbled chin, and the same trench coat Clark remembered him wearing. Constantine was the first to speak. Honestly, I wasn't all too enthusiastic to take this gig. But when I noticed you were calling from the Arctic, my interests were piqued. And I must admit, I am not disappointed. Fate, by comparison, sounded as though he took no delight from this visit. Why have you summoned me to this place, son of El? What purpose do you have for the powers of Nabu? Clark froze in apprehension. Fate's voice came from all around and nowhere at once. When no one answered, the dark eye slots in his helmet scanned the room, taking them all in. Kalel of Krypton, what is this gathering of heroes? Tell me. Clark snapped out of his trance and spoke. It's about my friend, John Jones. The Martian? He has been silent for some time. What has happened to him? Clark elaborated on his suspicions about the Silver Tiara. Dr. Fate listened, waiting for him to complete his explanation. When Clark was done, Fate simply replied, Pathetic. He turned his head to Constantine, addressing his colleague. You summoned me here for this. Have you no respect for Nabu? John Constantine held up both hands in defense, fingers spread wide. Look, I had no idea we were here for an antique roadshow. Dr. Fate stared at him another moment before turning his bottomless eyes back on the others. Finally, his gaze landed on the red stone on the silver tiara. That is Hippolyta's tiara, mounted with the Eye of Hades. Felix Faust acquired it long ago in his pursuit of immortality. To Clark's surprise, Diana exclaimed, covering her face in her palm. Of course! How did I not see it? Fate ignored her comment. How did you ever come by this unholy object? Clark stammered an answer. 
We, uh, took it from Vandal Savage. We found it in his safe. Indeed. Your friend has been captured inside the Eye of Hades. Can we get him out? Constantine chuckled, drawing everyone's attention. He smiled at the lot of them. Don't mind me. Dr. Fate reached for the tiara. May I? Startled at first, Clark handed it to him. Dr. Fate held the crown up and looked into the stone at its center. Indeed. Where is your friend's body? They led him to Jean Jones. He was reclined and unconscious on several pillows in the padded circular room. Mari Jiwe and Barry Allen were beside him, chatting. Their conversation came to an abrupt halt upon Dr. Fate's grandiose entrance. Fate spotted Martian Manhunter and walked directly toward him. You are fortunate the Martian's body can survive for so long in dormancy. Dr. Fate knelt down next to Jean Jones, lifted his head, and placed the crown on him. Almost immediately, Jean began to stir. When his eyes finally opened, Marijiwe leapt onto him, hugging him in relief. Clark wondered how long he had been oblivious to Mari and Jean's growing friendship. When they let go of their embrace, Dr. Fate spoke directly to Jean Jones. Remove that ornament from your head immediately, Martian. There was no need to tempt fate any further. Jean Jones slowly removed Hippolyta's tiara. Fate received it from him. I shall take this under my own care from here. Diana objected. It should be returned to Themyscira. Dr. Fate turned to face her, squaring his shoulders to hers. I once trusted Amazonia to keep this cursed treasure. I relieve you of the burden. You will no longer have to protect it. This is settled. He looked back to Clark. Son of El, waste my time no further with your trivial puzzles. Fate rose his hands and another onyx appeared. Constantine, if you desire to return from whence you came, this is the only moment I will offer it. Dr. Fate disappeared into his portal and Constantine comedically stepped across the room to it. I wish I could chat, but this is my ride. Though, hopefully, I'll be seeing all you beautiful freaks another time. Ta-ta. He tipped an imaginary hat to them as he stepped into the light and vanished. After they left, the Justice League stayed up late into the night, catching John Jones up to date. He was still recovering from the mental paralysis. His mind had been frozen in time during his capture. For the first hour after being released, he barely spoke. But as the night went on, well past midnight... Clark was happy to see him slowly regain a sense of his former self. Their reunion was eventually disrupted by voices yelling from outside the room and down the hall. With his supervision, Clark looked through the walls to see who was calling. It was Colonel Steve Trevor and Etta Candy. They were coming from the hangar bay, where the enchanted door, like the main entrance, would open for Superman's friends. Steve and Etta burst into the room, Steve shouting as he entered. Luther's going to Chi-Chi Koo! He's going to get Savage right now! Clark knew Luther was done with tolerating the Justice League, but did not expect him to be so quick to turn on the United Sodality. How long do we have? Trevor assured him. He still hadn't left yet when we headed here. But Etta Candy frankly admitted. Honestly though, Mr. Superman, sir, he's surely on his way there by now. Superman turned to Ray Palmer. They had recently gotten the Javelin 17 back from Batman and the others, though it was under repair. How soon can the jet be ready? Ray's face went through a few contortions as he made several calculations in his head. Less than an hour if Barry or Wally can help me. Good enough. If they can both help, we can do it twice as fast. Even better. Superman turned to the others. Okay, game. Here's what we're gonna do. Barry and Wally are gonna help Ray finish the repairs on the jet. John, how are you feeling? Are you able to fly? I'm not sure if I am. 
but I can try if I must. Clark assured his friend. No, Jean. You ride with the others when the jet's ready. Superman turned to Wonder Woman. Diana, you and I can fly along with Steve and Etta. Hearing her name, Etta spoke up. Actually, Mr. Superman, sir, if it's alright with everyone, I'm fine just waiting it out here. I don't see any reason you'll be needing me there taking up space. This decision prompted the colonel. Looks like I have another seat in my jet. Any takers? Aquaman didn't miss a beat to reply. I'll take that seat. You're gonna need some muscle when you get there. Let's do this! Arthur yelled the last part as he flexed his whole body. His usual shirtless attire transformed in a whirling light. Emerging from it, Arthur wore glorious armor of scales, gold on top and green on the bottom. The rest of the league stared at him for a moment, mouths agape. It's cool, right? It's a new thing I learned after a gnarly weekend back in Atlantis. But like, yeah. When everyone recovered from marveling Aquaman's new look, they all headed to the hangar. Ray and the speedsters went straight to repair the Javelin 17, while the others joined them in the hangar to see off the away team. Arthur and Steve Trevor boarded the colonel's craft and powered it up. As soon as the hangar doors opened and the jet launched out, a familiar flash of green light burst into the doorway and transformed into a barricade, holding the door open. It was the Green Lantern. In the blink of an eye, as this all unfolded, Clark prepared to launch himself at the green barricade before it could fully form. Instead, Wally West collided with Superman at full force, knocking Superman aside and out of the way of a kryptonite bullet. Wally had not moved fast enough to get himself out of the bullet's path. Not wearing his supersuit at the time, he was knocked hard to the ground. Barry ran to him, calling out. Wally! Ah, oh, kid, jeez, what did you go and do? Wally had been hit in the shoulder, but there was no more time to attend to him. Outside of the Fortress of Solitude, an army of androids was mounting. They were the same ones the Justice League had seized from Arthur Ivo when they found him dead, but the machines were now decorated in the regalia of Luther's military. Wonder Woman flew out of the open hangar and directly at Green Lantern, where he hovered in the air, holding the door open for an incoming army. Superman raced out after her, followed immediately by Vixen and the Atom. In the moment before Diana pummeled Jon Stewart with her fist, he let go of his hold on the hangar door and transferred his ring's power to enforce a barrier around his head. Regardless, Wonder Woman's punch sent him hurling into the sky. As the hangar door closed, the Flash slipped out in pursuit of the gunman who'd shot Wally. In the distance, Clark could see it was Deadshot, the same assassin he had saved Lois from several times. Barry had no trouble evading Deadshot's bullets as he charged upon him. As Clark assessed the battle to see where he was needed, lightning bolts struck at him from the ground. They mildly stung and incapacitated Superman, mostly from the surprise. The great shock was to see that the electricity came from his friend, Jefferson Pierce, who had retired from being Black Lightning. Clark landed across from him. Jefferson, what's going on? Jefferson threw another bolt at Superman, narrowly missing him, though clearly on purpose. Jefferson explained. They got my daughters. They told me I have to do this. I don't want to fight you. Jefferson began building an enormous charge around himself. After a second, he let the charge go down some. I was kind of counting on that, actually. I figured if I went after the others, they might swing back. Besides, I don't know how much electricity the rest of them can handle. Black lightning struck again. Clark narrowly dodged it this time. So, what do we do? Well, I just short-circuited the communicator they put on me, so now I'm just putting on a show while we talk. I'm hoping you can pretend to put up a good fight, and then you can make it look like you've knocked me out. I'll do my best. While Superman and Black Lightning staged their skirmish on the ground, 
Wonder Woman went full force against Green Lantern. It took all of his effort to simply hold her off and protect himself in a green bubble. The Flash had easily dodged Deadshot's bullets before taking his rifle from him. Once disarmed, Deadshot tried to catch the Flash off guard with his wrist-mounted artillery. Before Deadshot even realized he had missed, the Flash had removed all of his weaponry. Once Barry Allen had him bound in his own restraints, he turned his focus toward helping Vixen and the Atom with the robots. At the same time, Clark and Jefferson figured out a believable conclusion to their skirmish. No sooner had Clark tossed him aside did he find himself pummeled by mildly irritating punches from behind. He turned to discover Bloodsport, the vigilante from Metropolis that Argus had taken into custody. Without provocation, Bloodsport halted his attack and stood perfectly upright. Jean Jones approached. I have him. You go to Chichi Koo. Hurry. We can handle this. Jean Jones turned his attention to the encroaching robotic army. He and the rest of the League pushed them back while Green Lantern barely held off Wonder Woman's onslaught. Free from the battle, Clark seized the opportunity and blasted skyward toward the Himalayas. As Clark approached the mountain nation of Chichi Koo, someone hovered in the sky above the palace in which Vandal Savage was being held prisoner. Clark didn't recognize this man. He had an especially reflective metallic skin that blended directly into both his hair and his uniform, along with glowing red gloves and boots. On his chest, illuminated in the deepest red, he bore the image of an atom. His posture was extremely upright and rigid. Around him radiated brilliant pink and green fluorescent light. Clark slowed down and came to a halt as he approached the stranger. He hoped they could stop this conflict before it started. We don't have to fight. I'm sure we can work this out. Superman, I have orders to take you into custody. You may surrender now and our fight will be over. If you resist, you'll find out how much fight I've got in me. Clark had never seen anyone quite like this young man. What's your name, soldier? General Nathaniel Adams, sir. And though it is an honor to meet you, sir, I hope you understand. I have my orders, and if you want peace so bad, you can make it happen right now. The choice is yours, Superman. Please, General Adam, I'm only here to protect the people in the city below. You'll have to do better than that, Superman. You may not see it, but you've been manipulated. You're fighting on the wrong side. Whatever Luther's told you, he's either lying, leaving out the truth, or both. You can't trust him. Now you're just turning around what I said. Can't you see it, Superman? They've got you brainwashed to fight for them. Clark puzzled his face before he retorted. That's exactly what they're doing to you. Pathetic. Luther's given me these powers. Paying him back is the least I can do. But what about you, Superman? Are you going to turn yourself in or... Clark didn't hear whatever ultimatum Captain Adam was offering. Jean Jones had suddenly called out to him telepathically. Jean used his mental powers to link Clark to his cousin, Arthur. Aquaman was calling for help. I'm going to need some backup. There's some crazy chick with a magic sword down here. I'd already be in slices if it weren't for my armor. As Clark motioned to fly down and help, Captain Adam pounced, punching him in the gut. As the punch landed, Captain Adam's fist ignited, hitting Superman with the force of a small atomic blast. The captain held Superman in place, repeatedly hitting him all over. He had clearly been training for this moment. After a combination of punches, Superman was sent crashing into the mountainside below. Captain Adam landed to meet him. From the crater formed by his impact, Clark rose. The two of them squared off once more. Superman hesitated. Captain Adam took the opportunity. 
You don't want to make the first move, Superman? Fine by me. The symbol on his chest ignited and unleashed a blast of red plasma into Clark that carried him across the mountain, scraping him along its face. When he finally came to a halt, he was met again by a fist, punching him headfirst into the rocky ground. In one graceful motion, Clark rolled to his feet in between punches. He grabbed Captain Adam from behind, binding his arms and legs in a contorted grapple, just as he had once done with Bizarro. Clark lifted them both into the air and tried to reason with his opponent. Look, I don't want to be your enemy, but surrendering to Lex Luthor after all he's done? It's out of the question. You should be referring to him as President Luthor, you traitor! Captain Adam struggled to break out of Clark's grip with no effect. Clark attempted to negotiate again. I'm okay with ending this at a draw if you are. That's not how this works, Superman. I'm just one expendable soldier. We have a mission and we will accomplish it. I'm not turning myself in. Doesn't matter. That's not the mission. We're here to make sure Savage doesn't stay in Chichiku or get out alive. My job was to keep you out, but I just got word that your people inside have taken down our little strike force. So we're escalating to plan B and nuking the whole city. An unprovoked nuclear attack? That's insane. That's the order from the top. So you can keep holding me here or I can hold you. Either way, I'm not letting you stop that missile. Clark telepathically called out to John Jones for help. Only the Flash could make it there soon enough. Though Arthur was present, Clark doubted he could do anything to stop it. Barry reassured them. Don't worry, I have a few tricks I use for redirecting missiles. As Clark had withdrawn into his mind to call for help, Captain Adam was fighting with more vigor than before to break free. Clark looked around in an effort to spot the incoming bomb. If he could put himself and Captain Adam between the missile and its target, he might be able to impede the explosion. Listening for it, Clark heard the rocket before he saw it. His efforts to move them both into the missile's path did not go unnoticed by Captain Adam. The soldier did all he could to ignite his hands and feet in bursts of energy to perpetually throw off their course. As Clark struggled, Martian Manhunter connected him to the Flash. Barry was struggling too. I'm not sure what's going on here, but some beam keeps hitting me from space. It's not causing any damage, but it's doing something to how time is passing. It's keeping me from using the speed force. I'm just running like normal human running here. Wait, hold on. I think I can counter this. Okay, I'm starting to get the hang of this. Okay, okay, I'll be right there. Seconds later, Clark spotted the incoming missile, ripping through the sky toward them. Captain Adam straining escalated into violent shaking until he was downright convulsing. Clark looked around, but the flash was nowhere in sight. The captain was rapidly heating up in his grip. Clark had hoped that he might let go of his prisoner in the last second of the missile's arrival, but Captain Adam had brought himself to the brink of detonation instead. Superman could only stop one of them from blowing away an entire city and escalating the world into a war of outright nuclear Armageddon. As the roar of the incoming rocket filled the air, a blast rang out from behind Clark. Colonel Trevor's jet blew past Superman and toward the missile. Clark wanted to stop Steve, hoping to use his heat vision, but it was too late. Captain Adam had begun to detonate, releasing from his body a nuclear blast of inconceivable proportion. At the same moment Steve Trevor intercepted the rocket, the captain unleashed all of his energy. Two small suns temporarily lit up the night sky as the flash ran up, meeting Arthur on the palace grounds below. Superman gently descended, holding Captain Adam, limp in his arms. Barry stammered as tears streamed down his face. What? What happened? Arthur answered for them. Steve flew his jet into the missile to stop the bomb. 
I thought he was going to shoot it down, but I guess the jet wasn't really armed. Oh no. No, no, no. I can still stop this. Clark set Captain Adam down and walked over to console his friend. He's gone, Barry. No. I can go back. We can stop this from happening. We can stop all of this from happening. Barry, you don't have to do this. It'll be alright. We'll get through this together. Barry became silent, staring at the ground. Slowly, he looked up into Clark's eyes and whispered, But we can all get through this together. All of us. You'll see. I'll fix it. Without another warning, Barry Allen ran away faster than Clark had ever seen him go. Clark wasn't sure what Barry was talking about, but he didn't come back to clarify. Clark and Arthur looked at each other in astonishment, hoping Barry would not leave them waiting for long to find out. As they tried to piece together Barry's intent, they both heard the sound of another rocket approaching. Clark jumped into the sky for a better vantage point and spotted a man in an armored suit flying their way. Clark recognized him immediately. He returned to the ground to inform his cousin. It's Lex Luthor. Arthur couldn't believe it. Luthor? You gotta be kidding me. Another exosuit? Didn't he put himself in a body cast with the last one? Last time he tried one of these, it wasn't fully tested. I'm sure he wouldn't be trying again if he didn't think it would work this time. Go back inside and make sure there isn't a second wave coming after Savage. I'll head off Luther. Shaka, I'm on it. Clark bolted toward Lex and met him far off from his target. The two of them hovered in the sky. Luther stayed aloft with a complex series of turbines mounted all around him. Like the last time, his armor was colored in a brilliant mixture of green and purple. But this suit was outlandishly bulky in comparison, like a flying tank. Luther's face couldn't hide his contemptuous pride and disgust. He spoke to Superman with a communicator built into his suit. It was the same kind he had used long ago to amplify his voice just for Superman on a special frequency. I must confess, Superman, I would be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me hoping it would all come down to you and I. It is fitting, is it not? What's your game, Lex? You know as well as I do that there's no killing Vandal Savage. Why are you going to all this trouble to fake his death? You really are pathetic, Superman. You don't even realize what you have and you ask me its value. You have no idea. I cannot lose this war. There's a whole lot we can still lose, Lex. Ha! <laughs> the only question is, by how much will I win? At the very worst, I annihilate Vandal Savage, scrape up his remains and grow him back in a lab to power LexCorp technology, and then harvest information from his mind. He is a resource worth exploiting. On the other hand, best case scenario, the destruction of Chi-Chi Ku feels an all-consuming annihilation of this planet, leaving the two of you stuck with each other. Wait, that's your best case scenario? Actually, I can think of one better. One where you suffer first. A series of panels along the arms of Luther's suit opened up, and from them fired tiny heat-seeking kryptonite darts. Their barbed tips stuck into Superman and instantly slowed him down allowing for more to snag him. His kryptonite-repelling belt had not survived Captain Adam's blast. Dozens of these darts began piling up as they hung from Superman. When satisfied, Luther moved in, drawing his fist back. I've been looking forward to this for a long time! Lex caught Superman's jaw with his kryptonite-armored fist and sent him flying back. Before Clark could orient himself, Luther was launching grenades from mounts on his back. 
Each grenade detonated in front of Clark in a green cloud of gaseous kryptonite. With Superman further dazed, Luther launched a kryptonite-laced cable, wrapping him like a bolo. Still, Superman did not fall from the sky and it further enraged Luther. He swatted his sworn enemy to and fro, cursing his name. Fine. You want to taunt me like this? I can taunt you, Superman. How would you like to see this whole world end because of your pride? Cannons mounted on Luther's shoulders revved up, gathering the energy needed to create a devastating blast. He took aim on the palace below, where Arthur kept guard over Vandal Savage. Clark needed to find it in him to stop Luther's madness. Closing his eyes, Clark quieted the distress in his heart. He was burdened by all the barbed darts of kryptonite and the cable wrapping him. His belt could repel none of it. Yet he quieted the nagging distress it filled him with and took a single breath. As he exhaled, he spun in a cyclone. The cable and the darts were flung away, in time for Superman to grab Luther from behind and turn him skyward as his blast of energy was unleashed. It felt as though Lex had discharged all of the energy of Captain Adam and more. As Clark held Lex in the suit aloft over his head, the cannons began whirring again, preparing for another blast. Yes, Superman, do it. Break me apart. Destroy me in a fit of rage. Do it, monster. Show yourself for what you really are and this suit will self-destruct and take this entire mountain with it. Either that or get out of my way so I can at least destroy this city. Clark paused. He wanted no part of Luther's ultimatum. In his momentary lapse into contemplation, Lex's exosuit released an explosive of kryptonite shrapnel exploding directly in front of Superman. Its blowback sent Clark falling to the ground. He shook it off and leapt upward once more. Charging Luther, he quickly considered his options. Launching Lex into space was easiest. Luther had gone mad and lost his value for all life. Superman sped up. He needed to be sure to carry Luther with enough speed that his explosion cleared the city below. They would need to leave the atmosphere altogether. At that moment, at that speed, time managed to slip into almost nothing at all. Was this who Jonathan Kent raised him to be? Letting Luther blow himself up in space would be the easiest option. But what else could he do? How could he defuse this bomb? As the hum of Luther's cannons got progressively higher in pitch and nearly ready to fire, Clark came rocketing upward into an abrupt halt not far behind Luther. He called out, My name is Kalel. I'm sorry, Lex. He had gotten Luther's attention. Lex slowly turned to face Superman as his cannons quieted to a ready hum. Clark repeated himself. I'm sorry, Lex. My name is Kalel. I'm the son of Jurel, who was the son of Enlel. I'm sorry for everything. Everything my family did to your family. And I'm sorry I didn't tell you this earlier. It wasn't okay, and I'm sorry. I'm gonna leave you alone from now on. You won't have to worry about me. I'm retiring. Stripped of his pretenses, Lex stared, mouth agape. His rage was inadvertently abandoned as his face expressed a series of confused emotions. Eventually, his eyes softened just a bit before narrowing. Retiring? Is this some kind of trick? Do you mean it? If it'll put an end to this madness, then yes, wholeheartedly. I mean it. And what about Savage? You and I both know this has nothing to do with him. Luther bit his lip a moment before relaxing his jaw. This was enough confirmation for Clark. He turned around and flew away. Watching him go, Lex was dumbfounded. Had he won? 
had he defeated the Kryptonian. Immediately after apologizing to Lex Luthor and promising to leave him alone, Clark flew back, not far, to the capital city of Chichiku to pick up his cousin Arthur. Aquaman was out of his element here in the mountains. As Superman approached the building where Arthur guarded Savage, the rest of the Justice League arrived aboard the Javelin 17. It was everyone but Wally West, who'd been shot at the Fortress of Solitude, and Etta Candy, who stayed behind to tend to Wally's injury. Onboarding the jet, it was hard for them to miss the sight of Lex Luthor, only hundreds of meters from where they gathered, looming in the sky in his exosuit. Luthor stared back at them in bewilderment, still trying to decide what to do. The Justice League was there in front of him, but they barely paid him any mind as they gathered around Superman and Aquaman. Arthur was relieved to see the others, flinging himself into the group with emphatic hugs. Oh, dudes, I thought I was going to be cooked for a minute there. Ray Palmer was the first to bring up the obvious. What's up with President Scary up there? They all looked up at Lex for a moment. Superman told them the news. He's still processing. I just apologized to him. I'm going to retire. Everyone gasped in their own manner. Arthur exclaimed, No way! What? Why? Why would you do that? I think at this point, I'm only making things worse. There's been enough death at the expense of Lex and I fighting. Diana? I'm so sorry. Clark needed to say no more. Diana had her worst suspicions confirmed. She drew her hands to her face as tears began forming. Clark and Marijiwe both moved in to comfort her as she wept. Ray broke the silence. Where's Barry? Aquaman was wondering the same thing. He ran off. I was hoping you guys might have seen him. Where'd he go? He didn't really say, just that he was going to fix everything. They all took pause and looked around at one another. Jean Jones finally said it. I cannot sense Barry. He's gone. Slowly, the Justice League came together and wept. From the sky, Lex Luthor looked down on them, watching them grieve. Finally, he powered down his weapons altogether and flew away. Whether it was Clark's words or what he had witnessed, Lex Luthor returned home a changed man, more unsure of himself than he had ever before felt. Thank you for listening. I'm Isaac Bluefoot. Senevel is written and produced by myself. This has been the final episode of part two of Senevel. I can't say for sure when season three will be complete. You can help ensure I have time to write and produce more of Senevel by becoming a patron at patreon.com bluefoot. I love making this show and can't wait to bring you more chapters. In the meantime, please share this podcast with friends. Talk about it on social media and in real life. Rate and review the show wherever you can. It's through word of mouth that this story finds its audience. I'm counting on listeners like you to spread the word. Everyone could use a little Clark Kent in their lives. 
Though I produced Son of El by myself, I couldn't do it alone. So many creators have contributed to this rich story that haunts my imagination. This story was inspired by the Superman and DC Comics and characters originally created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, with additional contributions by Bill Finger, Bob Kane, Jerry Conway, Don Newton, Gardner Fox, Howard Sherman, Joseph Samichson, Joe Serta, Jack Kirby, Jerry Robinson, Alfred Bester, Martin O'Dell, William Moulton Marston, Harry G. Peter, Dennis O'Neill, Neil Adams, Jerry Conway, Bob Oxner, Mort Weisinger, Paul Norris, Robert Canninger, Carmine Infantino, John Broom, John Ostrander, Tom Mandrake, Julius Schwartz, Gil Kane, Alan Moore, Steve Bissett, David Vern Reed, Lucere Schwartz, Tony Isabella, Trevor Von Eden, John Byrne, Mike W. Barr, Jim Aparo, Joe Gill, and Steve Ditko. Manuscript editing assistance by Trisha Reel. Music in this episode was made by David Hillowitz, Blue Dot Sessions, Kai Engel, Mellow C, Chad Crouch, Vortex, Steve Combs, Scott Holmes, Kirk Osamayo, Poddington Bear, Gorowski, Ergo Fizmiz, Tortu Supersonic, Johnny Ripper, Sack Syndrome, Masato Abe, and Children of Kids. See the episode notes for details. For more of my work, get yourself a deck of Omen Quest cards at omenquestcards.com. Just get a deck and give it a try. It's the kind of game you'll want to carry with you. And be sure to listen for the next episode, Chapter 32, Back on the Farm.